uh, with that, we're going to try and transition into the message. I, uh, I was thinking this week um, and ran across a bunch of quotes, and you're going to think I'm morbid, but stick with me. A bunch of quotes, kind of famous last words of, of famous people, right? Uh, kind of last phrases that different people kind of throughout history have kind of said. And instead of it being morbid, I found it actually kind of fascinating because I want you to try and guess uh, and, and kind of find out, find, look for what's important and what's of value in these famous last words. I got a whole bunch of them, so stick with me. This first one, put it up there. Uh, how are the receipts today at Madison Square Gardens? The last words of P.T. Barnum, right? Founder of the circus, entrepreneur, and uh, entertainer extraordinaire. I thought that was fascinating. Humphrey Bogart, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. That was his last words. I'm like, are you serious? Listen to this. Oscar Wilde, either the wallpaper goes or I do. That was the last thing he said. You know, am I the only one that finds that a little ironic? Come on, stick with me. It was fun. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, right, died on the 4th of July. And the last thing he said is, is it the 4th? I thought that was a fascinating one. Keep going. Uh, Beethoven, friends applaud. The comedy is over, he says. I thought that was a a fascinating one. This one is from a French grammarian in the 1700s. He says, I am about to, or I am going to die. Either expression is correct. <laughs> Can you kind of see how he's wired up? That's the last thing you say. Trust me, when I go, it is not going to be grammar that I'm quoting. Okay, that is not the thing. Nathan Hale is a famous one. I regret that I only have one life to lose for my country. A few more. Let's pop those up. This is the founder of the Hilton Hotel chain. Last thing he said is, leave the shower curtain on the inside of the tub. I thought that was funny. Mark Twain, he was, he was reporting what he was saying, what he wanted to be on his tombstone. And this is what he says, reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, John Sedgwick, uh, this, he was one of his... Uh, officers underneath him was saying why he didn't think that uh, Sedgwick should go out into the open during a famous battle. And his, his last words were nonsense. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. What do you think happened? You guys are, it was, I thought it was funny, but anyway, let's go on. This is uh, perhaps my favorite. It's Robert LeBruce. Um, he was king of Scotland, and you guys have probably heard about him or seen some of him. He's involved in the Braveheart story, right, movie, and that kind of stuff. But he says this, Now God be with you. These are his last words. Now God be with you, my dear children. I have breakfasted with you and shall sup or shall eat supper with my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what. I wouldn't mind having those be my last words. That's an, what, a, what an amazing picture. What an amazing uh, uh, last thing to say. And as I was reading through these this week, I just was like, man, it's fascinating to me what this reveals about the people that said them. Oftentimes, the last words, the last thing that comes out of their mouths tells us a lot about a person. It tells us what was most important to them. Sometimes um, it reveals their true love. Sometimes it, it imparts wisdom or blessing or legacy to those left behind. It's fascinating to me. Sometimes it's just funny, right? Sometimes you read that and you're like, well, that's sort of ironic. But let me ask you a question. And this is, this is <laughs> again, it's not meant to be morbid, but I actually ask this question of people sometimes when I'm discipling them. If you see a raindrop come through, everyone, you see that? Maybe it's just me, but it's, there's condensation, so I'm hoping not to get rained on here. But um, it's, a, it's a question that I actually ask people when I'm discipling them sometimes. But like, if, if you know, I'll have people sort of either write or think through what they want their, like, to be said about them, like their eulogy at their funeral. Again, sounds morbid, uh, but I think it's the same kind of, 
it helps us to begin with the end in mind, to figure out how do we want to spend our one and only life uh, that God has entrusted to us, because we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know the time that Christ is going to return. We don't know when our, our number will be up. And so how do we want to pour out our lives? And so I want you, in, in the spirit of famous last words, I want you to, to think about for a minute, if you knew you had one or two sentences worth of breath left, and you had family or friends or maybe whoever, whoever you want like, to be around you, what is the thing that you would want to say to them? What is the thing, what would you want your, your last words on this earth to be? Now I know, again, a little bit more, but just stick with me. If you're comfortable, and especially for those of you that are extroverts, you can start the conversation because you're probably a little bit easier at this, but turn to a person or two or three around you and talk about what comes to mind. What, what do you, it doesn't have to be the perfect answer. You can give us some thought later, but what would you want your final words to be to those that are around you, okay? Go ahead and talk in church, it's fine. Talk to a person or two or three around you and share your answer. Go ahead. All right, why don't we bring it back together? What are some of the things that you guys shared? What are some answers? Chase after Jesus with your whole heart. Love that. What else? Okay, everyone's like, well, that was like, the, that was like the Jesus answer, so I don't know what to say. It's okay, you can share your answer, it's fine. Or this isn't a competition or anything. What else do you guys talk about? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, expressing love to those around you. Love that. What else? You guys are like, those are too personal to share? Or <laughs> okay, well, we'll go on. Here's, here's what, where I'm going with this. I think it's fascinating. I was, I was thinking this week, it's fascinating uh, because the passage we're going to be studying for the next couple weeks uh, is some of Jesus' famous last words, right? And, and it's one of those things that I... Jesus knows all things, so he knew exactly when his number was going to be called, right? He knew, he knew this, how this was working out. He had already died, right? He had already been buried. He had already rose from the dead. He'd already come back and appeared to hundreds of people, but, but he is, it, now is the time where he's going to be taken back up to the Father. He's, he's ascending. He's going to head back home, so to speak, and he has just a few moments left with his followers, with these with these people that he has poured his life into for the last three years. People he knew he was going to be leaving the ministry and everything. He'd be, he was going to leave that to them. He's passing the baton, so to speak, to them. And, and it's fascinating to me, uh, like we've been talking about, because you can see the heart of Jesus. You can see the mission of Jesus. You can see his desire for his people in what he says. And so we're going to be reading this. We're going to read it today. We're going to read it every, uh, every week for the next three or four weeks as we study it and kind of dig into it a little bit more. But these words come from Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. It's a passage known as the Great Commission. And I want us just to zero in on this. I want you to look for the main thing, the, the most important thing for Jesus as he's, he's saying these last words to his followers, he says this. And then Jesus came to them, to his disciples, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the famous last words of Jesus, the standing orders that Jesus left behind for his followers. How are they to live in his absence? What mission are they to carry on? Well, he tells them. It's known as the Great Commission, and he tells them, go and make disciples. Go and baptize those disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Go and teach them to obey what I've commanded you. And he says, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. These words and this call to his followers so impacted his church, so impacted those early believers, which numbered about 120 people when Jesus gave this great commission. It so impacted their hearts and their lives, so consumed them that by the end of the first century, there were hundreds of thousands, some scholars would say up to maybe a million Christ followers by the end of that time. Now, I, I was kind of blown away as I was thinking about that this week and saying, man, think of that. So there's 120 followers. That's sort of the church that Jesus leaves behind. And he says, go and make disciples. And that's what, about what time frame, what year, would you say? When Jesus gives him that command, the end of his life, he lived to be 33 years old. So somewhere in the, in, in the neighborhood of 33 AD. By the, so in 66 years, by the end of the century, there's, there could, I mean, could be up to a million Christ followers, a million disciples. Think about how rapid that multiplication is. It's crazy. It's almost as if when he left this great commission and he told them to go and make disciples, it's almost as though they believed him. Right? It's almost as if they said, you know what, maybe this is the mission we should be living out. And, and to, to experience, by the way, that's, if you do a ratio, that means that, and it's not, this isn't the way it works, but that's like 7,000 to 1, right? It's sort of, some, it's more than that, but it's something in that neighborhood. For every person that was a part of that early church, that 120, they would have to have an impact on 7,000 people to get to a million. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's so weird because I think, I mean, this is one of those messages that, and passages that, that if you've been around the church scene a while, you've heard this passage before. You're like, oh yeah, great commission. Check, I know that one, right? It's, it's one of those things that we hear and we think, it, we think of it as like a suggestion or like a really cool passage or something to aspire to or something that we should like memorize and meditate on and be like, oh, that's deep. Mm, that's good stuff right there, right? That's, uh, and, and all the while, right? We don't actually do it, right? We don't actually go and make disciples. But the early church was not that way. The early church heard this and received it as a mission from the living Christ. His last words, his standing orders for his church. How should we then live? And he, they, they heard this, go and make disciples. And so they went and they, they raised up Christ followers, and they taught them to obey, and they baptized them, and then they sent those people out. So the people they reached, then all of a sudden, they're reaching more, and they're discipling, and those people are reaching more, and they're discipling. It's exponential growth, right? It just keeps going and going and going, and it turned the world upside down, <laughs> turned the world actually right side up, right? I mean, people were coming to Christ in droves. It is jaw-dropping to think about that. 
It didn't matter who they were. It, I mean, this, most churches in that day, up until uh, uh, Constantine in after 350 uh, sometime AD, uh, up until that time, the, the average church, the normal church in the world was a house church, right? There, there, were, there were gatherings of bigger groups and for worship and prayer and that kind of thing. But most of the time, it was meeting in people's homes. It was not led by professional clergy. It was led by you, right? It was just led by the church. And it was, so it was, it was people, it was like Brit and Ryan that were reaching their little community around their neighbors and maybe family members. And then they're gathering together to disciple, to pass on what Jesus had told them. They're passing it on to others and they're raising them up and sending them out on mission. And that those house churches are growing and growing and they're starting other churches and they're sending more people out because they believed this was the mission of Jesus that every single Christ follower was called to live out. It didn't matter what you did. It didn't matter if you were a fisherman. It didn't matter if you were a tax collector. If you were a stay-at-home mom, it didn't matter. what. You, that's not who you were. That just described your mission field, right? It does you can serve lunches at the cafeteria at the high school, right? I mean, that's a great mission field. You could do anything, right? It doesn't matter. You could be a nurse. You could be a candlestick maker, a butcher or baker or whatever. Right? I mean, all those kind. Of, you could do anything. That just describes the sphere in which you were to carry out the mission of Jesus. Go. Go and make disciples. I wonder if the truth be told... And I'm not asking you to, to raise your hand or anything like that, but in your own heart, why don't, you, why don't you just evaluate? I wonder if the truth be told, if you're making disciples these days, are you living your life where, wherever God has put you, in whatever sphere, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to work, when you interact with your neighbors, do you have that focus? Are you making disciples? Are you... Are you Helping people to know and follow and serve and worship Jesus. Or are you just kind of doing your own thing? If we're, if we're just sort of living our life, I get it, we're busy, right? <laughs> Busyness, we kind of just get in our own thing, we just kind of do our own, we just keep going and going and going. We kind of do that. But if we're doing that, we've missed the mission that Jesus left for his church. Who's his church? Say me, right? It's me. I miss the mission that Jesus has given me. And so what we're doing here at Ignite is we're starting a series, uh, like I said, three, four weeks long. Uh, I'm calling it Simple Discipleship. And it's just, it's simple. It's straightforward. It's going to be on Matthew 28. Uh, we're going to read through it every week. I'm going to focus in on a couple of different parts of the passage every week. And yeah, by the end of it, I hope 100% of us have it memorized. But you know what? I hope that's not all. Because if we, if we get to the end of it and we know that we're supposed to go and make disciples and we can quote it and we can give the thumbs up and we can like it and all that kind of stuff, but we don't actually do anything with it, what's the point, right? What's the point? We're, we're not trying to, to give you knowledge that puffs up, right? We're trying to, we're trying to, to see Christ formed in you and see you and I raised up to be the kind of disciples and the kind of uh, live out the kind of missional lifestyle that we are called to by the risen Savior. And so I'm praying and I'm hoping that as we dig into this a little bit over these next few weeks, that you and I will learn, that, we'll, that we will be inspired, that we will uh, 
be even called and driven and whatever, that we'll be going out of here with eyes just scanning the horizon. Yes, we gather together to worship, but we leave on a mission, right? We leave on a mission from God, right? Like it's that kind of thing. We, we are called to more wherever we go. As you go on your way, that you would go with those, that, those eyes and that heart that says, I'm going to make disciples. I can't do it on my own, but I'm going to follow the prompting and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be l- scanning and listening and looking for who has God strategically put in my path that I can share with, that I can pray for, that I can love on, that I can serve, that I can, as God opens the door, that I can help become followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus who can go and make more disciples and more disciples. Imagine, I mean, Jesus took a church of about 120, by the way. Last, last Sunday, we had 128 people at church. It's us. He took a, a church of 120 people and used it to impact a million lives over the next 60, 66 years. Imagine what God could do with your life and with mine if we were to leave this place on mission, empowered with his authority, right? Assured and strengthened by his presence. With, an eyes and, with eyes open, ears open, and hearts that were ready that said, come Lord, I'm in, I'm yours. I want to live my life as a disciple of Jesus and I live my life on mission to see more and more and more disciples raised up and released for your glory and for your kingdom, for your purposes. God would change the world through you if you do that. Today I'm just trying to... Uh, to sort of set up the series a little bit. And I just want to give us a little bit more um, understanding and a little bit more of a picture uh, of what a disciple actually is. It's, it's one thing to say, go and make disciples and be like, oh yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm on board. Like, I don't even know what that means, right? I don't even know what that is. It's another to actually have a little bit of flesh around that. And so I want to, I'm going to look at a, a, a different passage and uh, an earlier passage um, where Jesus actually calls his disciples. And I think we can get a couple of different uh, actually, we're going to look at three different pieces of that, of what he meant by a disciple. And uh, we'll dig into those and kind of go from there. Sound good? Fascinating. This is just a, a number, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jesus, uh, the New Testament, I should say, uses the term disciple 269 times. He uses the term Christian a couple, right? Maybe three. It's not, not very much. It, the, the call is not for us to be churchgoers. The call is not really for us to be Christians. Christian was used descriptively to describe, oh, these people are like little Christs, right, in the Bible. Most of the time, the people are referred to as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. Dallas Willard says this. I thought this is a great quote. He says, a disciple of Jesus is not the deluxe or heavy-duty model of the Christian, especially padded, textured, streamlined, and empowered for the fast lane on the straight and narrow way. He says, no, a disciple stands on the pages of the New Testament as the first level of basic transportation in the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, if you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are a disciple. Be a good one, right? You're, you're a disciple of Jesus. There's no distinction. God does not call, uh, call us to be Christians, but disciples. And then let's take a look a little bit more at what that means. Uh, like I said, 
I want to go back in the story because by this point, when Jesus is calling his followers, again, this, it's three years later. He called them three years prior. They've been walking with him, following all this kind of stuff. And now he gets to the end and he calls them out to go and make disciples. And they've got a pretty good picture of what that looks like. They've been discipled by Jesus himself for three years. Pretty stinking cool, if you ask me. Who, I mean, who wouldn't want to sign up for that discipleship class, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm in, Jesus. Right? That would be amazing. But they've been walking with him for three years. And so I want to go back to the beginning when he calls them because he kind of sets the tone and sets the, sets the expectation of what it means to be a disciple of his. And we're going to look at this uh, from the calling of the first disciples, Matthew 4, 18 through 20. This is Jesus talking. We'll get there in a second, I guess. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew the, uh, and his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, now listen to this. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. I think sometimes we tend to make this whole idea of of being a disciple or being a Christ follower, what does God want from me? All this, we, t- we have a tendency to make it really complicated. And Jesus had the tendency, and especially I think pastor types, sometimes for, for preaching material, we make things complicated, right? We kind of zero in on all kinds of things. And I think Jesus tended to make things really simple. He, he tended to take really complex things and kind of say, this is really what it's about. Like, yeah, I, I, won't, I won't get in there. But I mean, like, he did that all the time, right? Like, which, which of the law is the most important? Which are the ones I should obey? Can you kind of rank order them? He says, love God and love people. Right? I mean, stuff, like he, just got, he just simplified stuff all the time. And I think in this passage is sort of the quintessential pieces of being a disciple. And I just kind of want to walk through this a little bit because I think it really is simple. And I think it's important for us to understand both for us to be disciples, but it's also important for us to have a framework and an understanding of when he says to go and make disciples, what does that mean? The first part is it's literally follow Jesus, right? It's, it's really not that hard. He starts out by saying, come and follow me, Jesus calls to his followers. Kind of leave your old life behind and come and walk with me. Come and see what I do. Come and see how I pray, what I teach, how I live. Come and get to know me and come and get to know my father. Come and imitate me. Come and follow me, he says. I used this illustration last fall, but uh, uh, some of us, we grew up playing... uh, games uh, like this, and I'm pretty sure everybody will know this, but remember the, Simon Says, the game he used to play as kids, right? Simon Says, pat your head, right? And so you'd, you'd do what Simon Says, you know, hop on one foot, and so you'd be doing this, and he'd say, okay, stop, and he'd say, oh, Simon, what, what did you say? Simon didn't say, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's that kind of a thing, and like I said, I think sometimes we make discipleship really complicated. It's really no more complicated than a children's game where Jesus, you know, Jesus says, follow me, and you follow him. And then, yeah, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I mean, it's, it really is that simple. Come and follow me. Come and listen to me. Come and do what I do. That's what a disciple is. In its simplest form, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, somebody that follows his teaching, somebody that follows his lifestyle, somebody that imitates Jesus. They follow him and become like him. That's literally, literally what disciple means, learner, imitator, follower. I remember in college, I'd been a Christian for a couple of months, literally, uh, when we had an InterVarsity staff worker that came on, on the scene and they started 
uh, at our campus, and it didn't take long uh, for us to strike up a, a relationship. And uh, this young woman, her name was Suzanne. She's like, you know, I, I want to want to disciple you. And and I was like, oh, cool. That sounds great. Now, in my mind, I think I have no idea what that means. <laughs> like, that's great. But what what it meant very practically is that we met together about once a week and we would uh, sit down we would pray together uh, we would open up God's word together and we talk about what it said what it meant and how to apply it right kind of thing and how to put it into practice we talked about living on mission we talked about stepping out in faith we talked about obeying even when I didn't feel like it right we talked about all kinds of things and, and she s- sort of taught me a, a rhythm and kind of what it looked like to follow Jesus and then when we get to the end of it, she'd be like, great, so we're going to meet next week. And I'd be like, yeah, cool. And she'd be like, okay, what are your application steps for the scripture that we talked about today? And he'd be like, oh, <laughs> like, so it's not enough just to know it, right? She'd be like, no, no, no. Like, how are you going to put that into practice this week? And so that was, that was a part of the rhythm of learning to, to, to follow Jesus, of learning to hear from him and to put it into practice and to, to do what he said to do and how to respond to him, and how to surrender to him, and on and on. It's, it's part of learning to follow Jesus. In fact, the last part, there was, like I said, there's always kind of application. The last part, and some of you might think this was crazy, but, but she, she made it real clear, and Jesus makes it abundantly clear, that there's no such thing as a disciple that just keeps it all to himself. And so part of that is always sharing. Part of that is always going out. We talked about that at, at uh, Summer Blast this week, but that's what disciples do, right? I mean, we learn and we receive and we, are, we follow Jesus, and then we help others to do that too. There's always an outflow. And so I found myself leading a growth or like a small group, a Bible study, uh, being a few months old in Christ. It was crazy. But it's part of how we grow is that we take what we've learned. I, I'd read through the New Testament, and at that point, that made me an expert. Right? I was sort of like, ah! But, uh, and, and, and so part of the gig is to pass it on to others. That's what disciples do. They come to, to follow Jesus, and they, they help others to do it, to, to follow Jesus as well. It's the essence of discipleship. It's the way it has been throughout history. If you look back, especially those first 350 years in the early church, that's what you see for the most part. You don't see professional clergy up here. There weren't such things as big cathedrals and big churches that came after Constantine, right? Up until that point, most of the time, it was normal people like you and me having a relational ministry reaching. They, they were following Jesus, and part of that was by they, they'd reach out to those around them and help others to know and follow Jesus too. It was just what you do. It was relational. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to live it out in this world. Another, I got some quotes that I love this week that I threw in there. Tim Keller says this, discipleship is not an option. Jesus says, if anybody's coming after me, he must follow me, right? The disciple must follow me. For Jesus, this is sort of the essence of discipleship. Come and follow me. Come and live with me. Come into relationship with me. Come and do what I do. Come and have your way. Come and follow me. So that's the first one, but I want you to notice two more things, and I've kind of hinted at them both already, but we're going to dig in. The second one is be transformed. I think this is just interesting. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think there's an interesting, uh, and I'm not trying to read too much into it, but it is interesting. He says, follow me and then I'm going to make you into something. And I just think this, this is like the cool part, right? This is, we, as we start following Jesus, if we're really gonna, gonna obey and we're gonna really follow his word and his teaching, 
He will change our lives, period. If, if, if there isn't life change happening, then chances are we're not really following Jesus. We're following a Jesus of our own making, which is pretty popular these days, right? We just sort of, we just sort of follow what we want to follow out of God's book. Let's follow the love part. Like, let's, that's a fun one. Let's do that. And let's, let's follow the uh, judgment part when it comes to other people looking at my life. You guys shouldn't judge, right? I mean, we, we, we kind of pick and choose what we want. But no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if we are yielding our lives to Jesus, Jesus, we're saying, man, I'm going to follow you. Oh my goodness. Will our lives look different? If we start opening up his word and we start reading things like, forgive others as I have forgiven you. You think that has any practical application in our lives? <laughs> Is that counter? How about turn the other cheek? Is that a little countercultural? That's, and again, this isn't something that we just study or memorize. No, I'm like, we actually live that way. It's good. Our lives would be drastically different. The way he talks about generosity in the midst of his church, is that going to be radically different than the world? Absolutely. Instead of it being about me, 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 it's about God and his kingdom and others, right? I mean, radically different approaches. We could go on and on and on, but our lives would be tremendously different. He will make us and remake us as we follow him and, and learn to obey, learn to put that into practice. I, I was uh, listening to a podcast this week. It just kind of reminded me. It had a guy on that was kind of an expert in, uh, in church history, was kind of talking about all that stuff, and was just amazed. During the last 500 years, uh, really since the Reformation, and and increasingly so in the last hundred years, uh, I, I think there's been almost a disservice to us in the church. There's been such an emphasis on thinking and on knowing and studying and that kind of stuff in the church, right? That we, we, We've become people who memorize and people, I, I can remember being a young Christian and meeting people that literally had entire books of the Bible memorized but they didn't, their lives didn't look any different from most of the non-Christians I knew. And I was like, I, as a new Christian, it was blowing my mind, right? I was like, how is this even possible? Like, they know way more scripture than I do. In the church over the last 500 years, our level of knowledge far exceeds our level of obedience, right? We, we don't really do anything. I mean, we know that we should forgive other people. We don't actually do that, right? We, don't, we know that we shouldn't gossip, but we don't actually do that. We know, you see what I'm saying? We've made it about knowing. And certainly is, is knowing the scriptures, is that an important part of our growth and an important part of following Jesus? Of course it is. But if we are own, like, like if we know and think to the exclusion of actually doing and putting it into practice in our lives, if we divorce those things from each other, then we are fooling ourselves. Because according to Jesus, going back to the Great Commission, right, part of being a disciple is not just calling ourselves disciples, but it's teaching them to obey everything I have committed. There's obedience. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, so I'm not, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But, but the way we are intended to live, right, is we learn, right, and we, we hear from Jesus, and then we learn to trust him and follow 
and obey. And then he teaches us and takes us the next step, and we learn to follow and obey. We get ourselves in trouble if we keep learning <laughs> without, <laughs> without obedience, right? I'm going to get myself in trouble. But, I mean, you can see where that, right? I mean, that's not how it's meant to work. Part of following Jesus, of course, is obedience. And, man, can I just stop and say, how are you doing on this one? How are you doing on following Jesus in the real world these days? For you, is, is Christianity, is being a disciple, mostly about knowing, mostly about our theology, or is it getting lived out in the real world? We're saying, yes, okay, I know this. No, now help me to trust you, God. I want to help me to put that into practice in my life and live it out by faith. I would argue that what we really believe is what we act on. If we're not acting on it, then we can say we believe it, but we don't really believe it. But I can say, oh yeah, I trust God with my money. I can say that, right? Oh, I know that God is the provider and he's able to, you know, manna from heaven. I mean, he can do all these kinds of things. But, but if I'm unwilling to actually open up my checkbook because I'm afraid or whatever, chances are I don't really trust him with my finances. I don't really believe I don't maybe I, I don't really believe that he's my provider. See what I'm saying? We've done a disservice maybe since since the uh, reformation of thinking about everything apart from obedience. But Jesus says, man, part of being a disciple is come and follow me and then be transformed. Let me change your life and put it into practice because that's where the good stuff comes from. I got another uh, great quote. I thought this was great this week. This is Dallas Willard's definition of discipleship. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Isn't that great? The process of becoming uh, who Jesus would be if he were you. Right? I mean, if our lives aren't being transformed, if we're not becoming more like Jesus all the time, if our lives, if those around us aren't looking at us and saying, man, that reminds me of something. <laughs> that reminds me of somebody. That reminds me of Jesus. If they're not seeing Jesus in you, if you're not seeing Jesus in you, if there's not transformation happening, then to be honest, I'm not sure we're really living out the fullness of our lives as a disciple. You with me? Can anybody here say, ouch, right? I mean, is that, is that a little challenging to all of us? Probably is. But I think the question for us to ponder is, is, is my life characterized that way? Do, am I living my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Third thing, it leads to impact, right? Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, I'll transform you into fishers of of men into fishers of people. The, the new NIV says men and women, right? It, it's, it's implied, but to every, fishers of people, uh, those that are around you. This one has to do with impact. There's no such thing as a disciple with no impact, right? As followers of Jesus, when we put his teachings and his example into practice, into action in our lives, it will have impact on others. Sometimes uh, for, we'll see that reflected in positive ways. Sometimes people around us won't like it, right? That's part of it too. But it will have impact, I guarantee it. Because our lives will no longer be all about us. Our lives will be about him and his glory and his kingdom and his priorities and his mission. 
what has been entrusted to us, what we've been learning from God, we can now help pass on to others. We can teach and share with others how Christ has transformed us. We can teach others to pray and hear from him and follow in ways that he's taught us how to do it. We can share scriptures that God has, has spoken to us about and that we've really uh, have, have come to be meaningful for us. If we are truly following right, Jesus by faith, following and stretching beyond our own comfort zone, entering into the realm of faith where Jesus calls us to go, then impact is easy. Impact happens. Discipleship in that way is easy because it's not something we have to add. It's just something that we are. It's something that we do wherever we go. If we're growing and following and being transformed by Jesus, if we're coming to life in him, if we are filled with his spirit, then it's the most normal thing in the world to talk with other people about Jesus. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something added on and there's not like a, a magic formula about how you can say things or the right things. Right? If God is answering your prayers, maybe it's just as simple as saying, man, God is amazing, right, with the, with the people around you. I've been praying for this, and here's how he showed himself faithful this week. Or I've been clinging to this scripture, and here's, here's how, how, how I saw that come to life this week in my world. Or I, I've been struggling with this whole issue of obedience in this area, and I stepped out, and God showed himself faithful to me. That's making disciples. That's, that's one, of, one of the infant steps in making, is just clearly just talking about it and praying about it. I, you see what I'm saying? It's a normal, natural part where if we're walking with Jesus and we're seeing him more, he's revealing himself to us, we're learning to obey and follow and we're stepping out into the realm of faith, then all of a sudden it's easy to talk about Jesus. All of a sudden it's easy to have content, right? You don't have to memorize something. You can just talk about what he's doing in your life. You can open up God's word together, right? Just be excited about what, how he's speaking and teaching and changing you and stuff. Oh, my goodness. Good stuff. I, uh, I'm going to go actually out of order. Can I bring up those uh, quotes if I can? Yeah. I love this Francis Chan quote. He says, if you really want to experience God, he says, go and make disciples. You know what he's saying? He's saying that's where the action is at, right? And again, even going and making disciples, right? It's a faith step, right? It's, it's trusting God. It's stepping out and saying, you know what? I'm in. Uh, as we follow him, that's where the good stuff is at. John Ortberg said this, God has entrusted us with, the most, with his most precious treasure, people. And he asks us to shepherd and mold them into strong disciples with brave faith and good character. Being a disciple starts with following Jesus, Right? allowing him to transform us as we put those things into to practice as we step out in faith. And then it's about sharing or discipling or pouring into others and helping them to love and, and grow and follow Jesus as well. It's really not that complicated. But I wonder, I wonder how many of us would say, and again, internal check, I'm not asking for hands or whatever, but I wonder how many of us would say there are people in our lives that we are intentionally discipling, that we're intentionally pouring into, we're praying with, we're opening the scriptures with, some that are believers and we're helping them to grow up in Christ and learn to follow him uh, with everything they've got, some that maybe aren't even believers yet. And we're just, we're just sharing with them and we're planting seeds about how God has transformed us and what he's doing in our lives and how great he is. 
I wonder how many of us can say, can think of two or three or four or five people around us that we know God has put us in their path on purpose and we're being intentional about praying for and reaching out to and in the hopes that they too become followers of Jesus and they're raised up and sent out on mission. Man, this is what we're about as a church, right? This is who we are. This is the good stuff. It really is. And if there's not somebody that comes, I mean, let me back up one thing. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that this is being lived out with our kids, right? That we're being, that that's one of the, one of, for those of us that are parents, that that's one of the realms that of course we're saying, yes, we want to be pouring into and discipling our kids. If we're not, oh, we should be hitting our knees and saying, God, help me, teach me, right? I mean, I, these kids have been entrusted to you, and the, more, the most important thing, more than anything else, is we, we want them to know and follow and worship and serve and glorify Jesus. Right? I mean, we, we of course, so I hear that. But if it's only, if that's the only people that come to mind is me and mine, then we're missing something. Right, because it has to go. Uh, I'm going to jump to Acts 1 8, right? Sort of another uh, piece of this whole great commission. He says, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our kids, our family are sort of, right? They're sort of our Jerusalem. They're, they're the ones that are closest to us. But it's got to go beyond that. Who is there in your workplace? Who is there in your neighborhood? Who is there in your family, even extended family? Who is there in your sphere that you are intentionally reaching out to and saying, you know what, God, with your help, with your work, I want to be a part of seeing them raised up as a follower of Christ. I want to help disciple. I've had a lot of different people disciple me over the years, and I still have people that are discipling me because it is, it is a never-ending journey, is it not? About the, about the time uh, God teaches us something and we find a little bit, you know, half a step of victory, right? We say, yay, God's doing cool stuff. He's transforming me. We do another one. All of a sudden, he opens up our eyes and there's this whole new thing. That, like, oh, oh man, this is hard. <laughs> like, and, and then we, we, we see a little, we see some transformation, right? I mean, it, it's an ongoing thing until we stand before him in glory, right? There's, it is a lifelong journey. Number one, I hope you're on the path. It's simple, right? Follow Jesus, right? Learn, learn to put into practice what he says. Let him transform you, change your life. And not just once, but on a daily basis. Let it, open up his book and let him transform you put it, as you put it into practice. Hit your knees. Learn to, to listen to the promptings of the Spirit as the Spirit brings up his word and brings up, opens our eyes to different parts of our lives where we can put that into practice. And then as he grows us and changes us, then invest in others and help them to become followers and lovers of Jesus. Help them to get raised up and be sent on a mission. I don't care what you do for a living. This is the call of Jesus, the, the final words that he left behind for his church, for his followers, for you. And my hope and my prayer is that we would increasingly be putting these things into practice. A couple application steps and I'll be done. Uh, first one is 
some of you might be here today, and in all honesty, maybe this is uh, pegging your weird meter a little bit. You're like, okay, I don't even know about this following Jesus. I don't even know what that's all about. This is all new to me. And if that's you, uh, I mean, I always encourage people, if, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we've got some on the back table, take one with you today. But I always encourage people, some of the, the easiest ways to learn to follow Jesus and learn what this whole thing is about is to open up his word. And I usually encourage people to, to start reading through the, uh, one of the gospels. Gospels are just uh, kind of biographies about Jesus and read either like Luke or John or something like that. Read a chapter a day. It's not hard. It'll take you five minutes probably to read through a chapter. Read a chapter a day. And then look for ways to respond. It's not rocket science. If Jesus is teaching about prayer and says, when you pray, you should pray this way. What if you prayed that way that day? You know, and you started putting that into practice. What if when Jesus talks about, you know, forgive as I have forgiven you, what if you look for opportunities and you just ask him, you hit your knees and you say, God, who is there that I need to forgive today? And then what if you actually go through the work of saying, okay, I'm going to release them. I'm going to forgive them for the wrongs done to me. I'm not going to hold on to that option of using anger and bringing it up. And all. I'm, I'm going to forgive as he has forgiven me. What if, right? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's the, it's the quickest and easiest way to learn to follow, right? Jesus speaks, and we say, we look for ways to say yes. And he speaks, and we look for ways to say yes. And pretty soon the Spirit's starting to prompt us and we look for ways to say yes as it lines up with His Word, right? I mean, all this kind of stuff. That's the rhythm of learning to follow Jesus. If you don't know what else to do, I'd start there. Maybe, you, maybe just before you leave today, you just kind of bow your head, you open up your hands and you say, Jesus, teach. I want to follow you, I think. But I don't even know how to do that. Would you come and would you teach me to follow you, to obey you? To, with your help, I want to follow Maybe some of us are here and we're like, you know what? Uh, I've been around the church scene forever. I might, I might be one of those people I was talking about. Uh, books of the Bible, man. I, I know all kinds of stuff. I've been in growth groups, you know, up to my, up over my head, right? I, I, I know a ton about Jesus. But in reality, I'm not really living it. And maybe today, uh, God is saying to you, man, it is time to hit your knees. It is time to to turn away from just knowing, turn back and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me because of Jesus? And would you teach me afresh to learn to follow you day by day? Would you soften my heart? Would you help me to apply what I know? Would you help me to, to act and to step out in faith? Others of us, maybe, we've got a pretty good rhythm. Right? I mean, we're following Jesus. We, we, we regularly are opening up his word. We're praying. We're, following, we're hearing from him. Like, God's answering your prayers, right? Like, stuff is going great. You're like, this is awesome. This is a, it's a good season. And maybe for you, in fact, <laughs> I know, right, for you and for me, God's saying, if that's you, don't keep it to yourself. Because the risen Christ has come and he has spoken to his followers, and he has, he has called us out on mission wherever you go. As you go about your day, as you go about your lives, would you go, he says, and would you make disciples of all nations, everywhere, you, of all people, would you make disciples? 
would you, would you baptize, you know, see that they get baptized in the name of the Father and Son of the Spirit. Would you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you? And, and don't worry if you, feel, if you feel unworthy or insecure. Don't worry because all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me and I am the one that sent you and I will be with you always. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's, that's our uh, cry this morning. I, we want to be your disciples. We want to live our lives for you and for your mission, for your glory, that your purposes would prevail, that your kingdom would come and not our own. And Father, over these next uh, few weeks as we start uh, digging into this passage more, I, I do pray that you would teach us to follow, to, be, to live as disciples, to put into practice of us and transform.